Let us turn to God's Word. I want to read from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 30, and reading some verses from this chapter. Isaiah chapter 30, and we read from verse 1. Ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan, but not mine, who make an alliance, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction, to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh, and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore shall the protection of Pharaoh turn to your shame, and the shelter in the shadow of Egypt to your humiliation. For though his officials are at Zoan, and his envoys reach Hanes, everyone comes to shame through a people that cannot profit them, that brings neither help nor profit, but shame and disgrace. An oracle on the beasts of the Negev, through a land of trouble and anguish, from where comes uh, the lioness and the lion, the adder and the flying fiery serpent. They carry their riches on the backs of donkeys and their treasures on the humps of camels to a people that cannot profit them. Egypt's help is worthless and empty. Therefore I have called her Rahab, who sits still. And then reading from verse 15. For thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest you shall be saved, in quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But you were unwilling, and you said, No, we will flee upon horses, therefore you shall flee away, and we will ride upon swift steeds, therefore your pursuers shall be swift. A thousand shall flee at the threat of one, at the threat of five you shall flee till you are left like a flagstaff on the top of a mountain, like a signal on a hill. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. For a people shall dwell in Zion, in Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes shall see your teacher. And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. When you turn to the right or when you turn to the left, then you will defile your carved idols overlaid with silver and your gold-plated metal images. You will scatter them as unclean things. You will say to them, Be gone. And he will give rain for the seed with which you sow the ground, and bread the produce of the ground, which will be rich and plenteous. In that day your livestock will graze in large pastures, and the oxen, the donkeys that work the ground will eat seasoned fodder, which has been winnowed with shovel and fork. And on every lofty mountain and every high hill, there will be brooks running with water in the day of great slaughter when the towers fall. Moreover, the light of the moon will be as the light of the sun 
and the light of the sun will be sevenfold as the light of seven days in the day when the Lord binds up the brokenness of his people and heals the wounds inflicted by his blow. We end our reading there at verse 26, and we pray God's blessing uh, upon it. One of the favorite passages of many of God's people is Matthew chapter 5, and especially the Beatitudes at the beginning of that chapter. And many, many people can quote and say those Beatitudes with great joy and pleasure. But yet there are lots and lots of other Beatitudes scattered all through Scripture. And many of those Beatitudes are completely unknown and ignored by many people. Your homework for this evening when you go home is to discover the three Beatitudes that are found in the book of Isaiah. There's 60-something chapters in Isaiah, so two, three minutes will take you through the book to find those three Beatitudes. I'm going to help you because we're going to consider one of them this evening. We read it there from Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Now the background, background to this chapter is quite simple. <clears throat> At that time, the nation of Judah was very, very aware of the great power of Assyria. Already the northern nation of Israel had been captured and taken into captivity. And so little Judah was fearful for its future. And Judah, with only two tribes, was trying to think, how can we resist Assyria? And so they were looking to Egypt, the nation of Egypt in the south, and trying to develop relationships with Egypt, that if Egypt would help them, they'd be able to resist Assyria. And in the opening verses of the chapter, Isaiah, as God's spokesman, accuses the people who carry out a plan, but not mine, who make an alliance, but not of my spirit, who go down to Egypt without asking my direction. And later in the chapter, he describes ambassadors going to see Pharaoh with beasts of burden laden with treasure to purchase this friendship. And uh, uh, Isaiah protests against all this with all of his might. It was a denial of God's ability to guard and to defend his people. And he exhorts them repeatedly to place their trust in their covenant-keeping God. And so, for example, in verse 15, For thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and trust shall be your strength. But returning to verse 18, there is a contrast in this verse between the opening part of the verse and the closing part of the verse. The verse opens, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious. The Lord waits to be gracious. And all of Isaiah's 
listeners should have been able to respond, yes, blessed are all those who wait for him. And so we want to consider these two contrasting statements in this verse. God who waits and we who must wait. So let us think, first of all, of God's waiting. In many, many human activities, timing is very important. In sport, music, cooking, even politics. As John was leading the singing here, how come we were all going exactly the same speed and some people didn't go a bit faster and some didn't start verses a wee bit quicker or whatever? Yeah, timing all at the same time. And that's true for lots of things in life. And it's particularly true for how God organizes things. And there's a, a sentence in the Westminster Confession of Faith which sums up all of biblical teaching. God from all eternity did, by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. God ordained. God planned when things would happen. Things don't happen just by chance. There are many, many examples throughout Scripture. For example, Paul writes in Galatians 4, verse 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman. It wasn't by chance that Jesus was born that day, that hour. From all eternity, that had been God's plan. When Joseph and Mary set off on their journey, no doubt Mary had all these thoughts. Oh, gulp, what's going to happen? Might this little one come? She didn't know. But God knew. The fullness of time. That example isn't unique. In Genesis, God told Abraham that his descendants would be afflicted and be sojourners in a foreign land for 400 years. That was indeed the case. Long after Abraham's day, yes, they were taken to Egypt. Similarly, God promised to Abraham and Sarah that they would have a son. And yet, many, many years later, Isaac was born. And because there was such a delay, Abraham thought perhaps we should be trying something else. But no, God had planned exactly the moment when this particular promised son would be born. We could give many, many examples in Scripture where there was waiting, waiting upon God. And perhaps sometimes we ask the question, why does God wait? Why does he seem to delay to answer our prayers, to fulfill things he himself has promised? And the truth is, we cannot always give an answer to those questions. There's a little verse in the book of Deuteronomy. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us. 
Yes, we can give answers when we find those answers in Scripture. But God's purpose is why, why there's delay, why he waits, why it takes time for fulfillment of promises. God alone knows. He chooses the time that brings him the most glory. Why does a person become a Christian at a certain age? This person as a child or a young person, this other person almost on their deathbed. We can rejoice that God can be at work in the life of a young person and the life of an old person. Glory brought to him. Why does our own personal sanctification take so long? Because God wants to show us the depth of our own sin and that our trust must always be in him and never in ourselves. But of course, the word wait is one of those words in our English language that has got several meanings. There is this notion of delay, of having to spend time waiting. But there's also the sense of expectation, anticipation, waiting for something that's good news. The obvious example is the birth of a baby. The family says they're waiting for this little one to be born. Joy, expectancy, delight. And here in Isaiah, while that sense of delay is there, I believe it's the second sense that is being emphasized. God wants to bless. He is waiting to bless. But he waits for the right moment. As one writer puts it, he is standing on tiptoe, ready to bless. And perhaps the best picture of that is the, prodigal of, uh, the parable of the prodigal son. It wasn't by chance that that father happened to go out that day and look and see his son coming. I believe every day he was out there. Every day he was praying for this son, longing that the son would return. And so when he saw him, there was joy, delight. God waits to be gracious to people. But he can't be gracious. He won't be gracious until those people those individuals wanted to be blessed. And that was the case here with this people of Judah. Yes, they were going off in all directions. They weren't seeking God's face. They weren't desiring him. And this principle is true in our own lives. Yes, perhaps some of us are going in certain directions. Not directions approved by God. We're involved in activities or whatever. God waits to bless. But he waits until we will return to him. That he might bless us. 
Yes, God's waiting. But then secondly, let's think of our waiting upon God. And I wonder, have you ever thought about how often this theme of waiting upon God is found so often in Scripture, and especially in the Psalms? Many of the, the well-known Psalms that we sing, there's this idea of waiting. Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. Psalm 37, verse 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Psalm 62, verse 1. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. Verse 5. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. And here in the book of Isaiah, perhaps one of the best known verses in the whole book is the very last verse of chapter 40. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. And so here in chapter 30, Isaiah gives to us this beatitude. Blessed are all those who wait for him. And of course we could apply this text to many, many situations, not least to churches, which in theory are the people of God today. God is waiting to bless. Are we looking for his blessing? Are we praying for his blessing? This promise was given to this little nation of Judah. Is our nation looking to be blessed? Wanting to be blessed? Sometimes as churches there is a temptation to trust in our methods and purely human practices to adopt the dominant culture of the day. James tells us in his epistle that friendship with the world is enmity with God. And as we're thinking this morning, it is God who has ordained what we should believe, what we should teach, how we do things. It isn't other ideas that should be leading us. But let's just limit ourselves to individual cases. How should we as individuals wait upon the Lord? What kind of situations, what kind of circumstances should we be waiting upon God? Certainly when we're at a crossroads in our lives, we're needing his guidance. It may be related to work, marriage, moving house. When do we retire? All kinds of questions. We need to wait until he says to us in the words of verse 21, this is the way, walk in it. It also applies to those who those of us who find ourselves in the midst of adversity and trials. God is testing us. We're experiencing these difficulties, whether it may be health situations or others. We're waiting. Maybe we're waiting for the conversion of a loved one. Are we waiting with expectancy? Yes, all of us, if we are children of God, we should be 
desiring to be more holy, to be more fruitful in our Christian life and witness. And always, always, always there is this advice, hope in the Lord, wait, linger in his presence. In our daily lives, often waiting is something that some of us don't do very well. We don't like waiting. What's keeping so-and-so? They said they were here and they're not here. We don't like waiting. And that can be true in the spiritual realm. We don't like waiting. But God's people have always been those who wait. They had to wait for the first coming of the Lord Jesus. And we're having to wait for his second coming. But what does it mean to wait for the Lord? One of the Psalms that speaks a lot about waiting is Psalm 130 that we'll be singing in a moment. Verses 5 and 6. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And in his word I hope, my soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. And there when the psalmist wrote that psalm, the watchman there, whether it be the palace or the temple... There weren't spotlights all around the building that made watching easy. No, there was total darkness. And so he was listening intently in the silence. Is there any noise here? Any danger? Any enemy coming? Eyes wide open, looking. He wasn't relaxing on top of the building. But he was engaged holy and so waiting for the Lord should be an intense spiritual activity of our soul with all of our heart we should be waiting it dominates our thoughts it isn't some fleeting idea but the psalmist repeats that idea of waiting and hoping several times soul, his spirit, his will, his affections, everything is engaged in order to obtain what is desired. But I want to suggest three essentials in this waiting. First of all, there's quietness. Waiting doesn't necessarily mean much activity. Verse 15, we read, in quietness and in trust shall be your strength. There's a beautiful verse in Lamentations 3, verse 26. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Psalm 37, that we sang just a moment ago. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Friends, it's good to have a time each day if possible. A time without distractions. A time when we can wait in the Lord's presence. Wait for him. Yes, it may not always be possible. A busy mother, for example. Life is dominated. But as far as possible, each one of us, do we give ourselves a time? Not just a minute or two. Extended period where there is nothing to distract us. 
but we give ourselves wholly to the Lord to spend time in his presence, quietness. But then there should be diligence. And perhaps that sounds the opposite of quietness, but it isn't. Waiting upon God doesn't mean that the person hangs around doing nothing with the vague hope that something will turn up. It isn't spiritual laziness, but it is committing to all the means that God has given to us. Psalm 130, I wait for the Lord, and in his word I hope. God has provided us with various means to obtain his favor, and the psalmist, when waiting, turns to his word. I've been challenged recently by a book I've just finished reading by a friend, Paul Wells, performer, Professor X. He's written the same book in French and English called Growing in Grace. And his challenge about how we should be reading the scriptures and how we should read them meditating and with a desire to learn a verse of the passage we've read. And yes, when I was young, yeah, I learned some verses. Have I been learning any parts of Scripture these past few years? I haven't been. Do I love God's Word? Do you want to know more of God's Word? Or do I just skim over it? No. If we are truly waiting upon the Lord, we give ourselves with real diligence, real zeal to discover more and more. And it's not simply the word, but it's prayer. It's other means of fellowship. The sacraments, Christian fellowship. All of these activities are designed to bring us closer to God. We have the same idea in Psalm 123. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. The servant's eyes weren't occasionally on the master or the mistress, but constantly. We must be serious Obedient people, ready to do his will. Waiting for his answer for us. Waiting, of course, doesn't mean we cut ourselves off from the world. But it means being seriously committed to all of God's ordinances. Being zealous in prayer and service. Being often with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And especially those regular quiet times diligence but also there's expectation you see that's one of the the ideas in this word wait the idea of longing of hoping we never wait if there's no hope of that thing happening how many buses go past here each day I have no idea would you stand out there if there's no hope of a bus coming past no yeah, a bus might be a bit late, but if you're sure it's coming, you'll wait. 
Psalm 62. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. Psalm 5, verse 3. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and wait. Again, Psalm 130, verse 5. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. It's in God's word we find these wonderful promises. But what God wants to do, his promises for us as individuals, his promises for the church, his promises to unbelievers, to the world, for the nations. Friends, what are our hopes and longings that we want to see God doing? I wonder if I were to go around with a microphone, long each seat, and say, what are the matters that you pray for? What are your own personal, spiritual longings? I have a friend, a pastor in France, who's a regular blog. And one of the things he would say regularly is that every true believer should be praying regularly for the salvation of at least five people. Are we longing, praying with expectancy for the salvation of five people? Whether it be in our families, in our neighborhood, some other part of the world. Yes, spiritual breakthrough, building up of the church. And all of this reminds us, of course, of God's waiting. In his wisdom and his love and grace and sovereignty, he desires to do his good. Yes, he may allow judgments and hardships and difficulties so we would seek him more. When God manifested himself once in a vision to Jacob, Jacob, after he woke up, said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Yes, God is everywhere. God is everywhere. But we are often unaware of his presence. Yes, we may have this idea, yes, yeah, God's everywhere, I know that. but we don't have this deep relationship with him. Relationship of expectancy. We know he's there beside us to bless us, to do us good, to bless his church, to build up his people. Yes, perhaps sometimes God intervenes and we can say, oh yes, he was here all along and I didn't know it. Are we waiting? Waiting with expectancy. Then lastly, what are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? And throughout Scripture, the focus is always, always upon God. We are not primarily waiting for His blessings. Blessed are all those who wait for Him. It's not primarily His mercy but God himself that we desire. 
Is it not true that sometimes we value the gift more than the giver? Often we see that with children. Birthday or Christmas or something, we give this present. Oh, that's great, wonderful. And then mommy said, did you say thank you for that? Oh, yes, thank you. Yes, that's often how we are with God. It's the gift that's more important than the giver. And yes, of course, we need his forgiveness. We need to see the conversion of friends. But our relationship with him, our relationship with the Lord Jesus is more important than any of these other things. As the psalmist says in Psalm 42, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. If I were to say, my wife, what's she there for? She's there to cook for me, to make things handy for me. And yes, she may do those things. But our relationship is much, much more important. To know her, to develop, to deepen that relationship, much, much more important. And that's true in our relationship with God. Yes, I may long for many, many things from God. And I may not always understand why he allows certain things to happen in my life. But I do know that all things work together for good to those who love him. I trust him. I know him. I know he's faithful. I know he's good. I know he wants to bless. Yes, our chief focus is in God. But yes, we do also wait on his blessings. That last verse of Isaiah 40 tells us, They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. When we wait before him, we exchange our own weaknesses for his strength. Our own insufficiencies for his sufficiency. And yes, there are many, many blessings. Psalm 40, the blessing of salvation. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and has heard my cry. He drew me from the pit of destruction. There's the blessing of strength and courage. Psalm 27 verse 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. There is his help. Psalm 33 verse 20. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. See it Spurgeon says in one place. It is the Lord who makes us wait. Let us do it with all our heart. For blessed are all who wait for him. He is worthy of our waiting. Waiting is even beneficial for us. It exercises our faith patience and submission and values the blessing when it comes. As that verse in Lamentation says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, the soul who seeks him. We have been considering one verse, this verse 18 in Isaiah 30. 
But this chapter 30 is actually a wonderful chapter itself. And if time permitted, we could consider many, many other things. We notice briefly, for example, in verse 19, yes, Judah will be taken into exile. Yes, they will be taken. But there's that promise. But a people shall dwell in Zion and Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. Their exile in Babylon would put an end to idolatry among the Jews. You go into a synagogue, there are no idols. No idols. All through the Old Testament, time and time again, the the Jews, Israelites, had their idols. But here, no. The exile would cure them of that. They would return to Jerusalem and be greatly blessed. Their great fear here in these opening verses was Assyria. In verse 31 we read, The Assyrians will be terror-stricken at the voice of the Lord when he strikes with his rod. And if we go further in the book, chapter 37, verse 36, we read that that happened. The angel of the Lord struck down the whole Assyrian camp in a moment. Hundreds, thousands of men wiped out. If only the people would trust God. If only the people would trust him. He remains faithful to his people. No doubt, after the people return from exile in Babylon... As those people would have read these verses. Oh, if only our parents had heeded God's word here in this chapter. What an encouragement to continue seeking God, waiting upon Him, desiring His blessing. Friends, this evening are we known as a people who wait upon God? waiting upon his blessing in our prayers, in our outreach, in our desires for the nations. The Lord waits to be gracious now. And yes, there's a sense in which this chapter, while it's describing the people of Judah, there's another sense in which this chapter only reaches its fulfillment in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and his return. Those closing verses that we read there, the light of the moon will be as the light of the sun. The light of the sun will be sevenfold. This afternoon we were talking a little about climate change. Is that a reality? And so is it going to be a reality that at night time the moon will be like the sun and the sun will be seven times hotter than it is today? I think these things are images describing the total transformation when the Lord Jesus returns. How it will be new heaven, new earth. We cannot imagine how it will be. 
But Isaiah uses these things. It'll be far, far more wonderful than we can imagine. The blessings, the blessings of prosperity and blessing when the Lord Jesus fulfills this wonderful, wonderful picture. Yes, the Lord waits to be gracious. And one day soon, that grace is going to be seen when our Lord and Savior returns in all of his glory. But until that moment comes, we his people who are living here upon earth, it is our responsibility to live for him. Are we waiting, longing, desiring, praying for a deeper knowledge and relationship with him? That friends, neighbors, family would come to the Savior? Or do we just pray, give me a good day, Lord, watch over me. Be nice to me. Friends, may we be those who truly wait. Wait with expectancy. Wait with longing. As is pictured here by Isaiah. And pictured in many, many of the Psalms. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Amen. Our gracious Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege of having your word in a language we can understand. We thank you for the privilege of hearing that word preached. And yet, Father, we acknowledge that often putting into practice things we have heard is so much more difficult. We find it hard to spend time in your presence. We find it hard to truly pray. We're often distracted. But, Father, we pray that by your Spirit, you would help us more and more to desire to know you in a deeper, more profound way to become more and more like you, to see your hand powerfully at work all around us, in the nations, but especially in our family circle, in our neighborhoods. Yes, Father, help us to learn all of the lessons that we find in a chapter such as this and help us more and more to be those who put their trust in you who delight in you and who are waiting expectantly to see your hand at work among us. Now may the grace of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, the love of God our Heavenly Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.